the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. My name is George Chalmers and in this Farm Advisory Service podcast, we'll be looking at pesticide filling and handling areas. We're going to discuss what the pollution risks are, some of the legislation involved, what the design considerations are, and also some of the options for disposal of pesticide solutions. In most cases, and indeed the preferred option, is for pesticide handling and washing activities to take place in the field being treated, either in an untreated area or an area that's received a lower dose of chemical. For various reasons, however, these activities can occur in the steading area. Perhaps this can be for convenience or even to guarantee a good supply of clean water. And it's a steading area that we are going to be concentrating on today. I'm joined by two experts. Firstly, Pete Wright, uh, who's a specialist from SEPA, who will mainly discuss the pollution and legislative aspects. And also Dan Fentiman, General Manager of DNH Rural, who has been involved in the supply and installation of pesticide handling areas and biofilters throughout the country. So to start with, Pete, just why should producers make sure that pesticide handling facilities are up to scratch? And perhaps why in some cases they should be looking, producers should be looking to improve them. Yeah, well, thanks very much for um, inviting me onto the podcast. Um, it's really useful to have this um, opportunity to speak to people, and, and like you said, like you, we're all doing things in a slightly different way. And hopefully, this will this will get to an audience which is going to be new to it. Which we've had a number of events on farms and on site, uh, and they've been really successful. So hopefully, this goes the way, same way. So thanks very much for letting me get involved. So I work for uh, the Scottish Environmental Protection Agency and do quite a lot of work with yourself at SRUC and uh, Farming and Water Scotland. And pesticides is probably it's probably the issue. Um, that comes up most with the most difficult questions. Where, when it's a operator who's using these things day in and day out, so a contractor or a large arable farm or whatever it is, most of the systems are in place. So when we're doing our farm inspections and our visits, those steadings that we visit, which are in regular use when it comes to pesticide, tend to have the systems in place. What I'd like to focus on a little bit now is where we see the problems. And these occur in locations which are you know, infrequently used when it comes to pesticide handling and storage. Uh, one of the main issues, I mean, uh, there are some quite shocking statistics when we look at it. Um, it you know, it's up to 40% of the pollution incidents relating to pesticides don't happen because of over-application of field or rainfall events. It happens just because of minor problems. Well, what are seen as minor problems on the steading, which is basically meaning that Neat pesticide in quite a lot of circumstances is getting direct in, directly into surface water drains and impacting the water environment. So the kind of things we're looking at when we go onto a site visit, which we've done a fair number of these now, is you know where are pesticides being handled and where are they getting mixed, where the storage locations are, and also if the farmer or land manager there is aware of the potential risks that risks that are 
um, that are associated with those activities and also provide a little bit of best practice. And of course, we've got our, our rules and regulations that we do apply, but all the rules and regulations that we talk about today on the podcast are based on best practice. So these are things that should be happening anyway. Where can these uh, pollution accidents or incidences occur um it's, it's going to be spills obviously leakages. yeah yeah um runoff yeah yeah i mean the 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 biggest one is just drips and spills um runoff runoff sounds quite dramatic you you, you have visions of um you know liters of water or liters of pesticide disappearing down into a drain that doesn't tend to be the case the areas that we find are most most likely to cause issues are the handling areas where there's just little drips and spills down to poor um, housekeeping really and also things like the foils and the caps off the top of lids in the containers if they're not disposed of appropriately or stored properly prior to disposal they can have quite a significant impact i've seen examples where there is like a, a carrier bag uh, full of the pesticide foils or the caps uh, and that's just left on the side of the of the yard um, and those caps and, uh, can quite easily just get blown away and, and any pesticide residue on it can get washed into a drain so it's those little improvements that you see on the site which can have the big improvements out in the environment the large spills don't tend to happen very often when they do happen they can be catastrophic and have a huge impact on the environment and resulting on the impact on the business because of the because of the the actions they have to take but they don't happen very often there are normally things in place to stop those kind of activities happening but where we see on a wide range of sites from small through to large is those small drips spills and foils the diffuse issues relating to pesticide storage are the areas that we see the biggest problems and a lot of this speed is covered under legislation under gbr 23 that's right yeah 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 i mean remembering numbers for rules and regulations is, is, is difficult and as somebody deals with it every day that i struggle myself so it normally comes <laughs> down to what the regulation is so it's called the water environment and it's the controlled activities regulations in scotland they brought in these in 2008 it's basically it's rules and regulations that were best practice but because of uh, wanting to have that little bit more regulatory influence they were brought into 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 rules and like you said george the the the, the one which is deals with specifically with this storage and application of pesticides is gbr 23 and that covers where you should be filling these 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 machines, where you should be storing the equipment, and how to make sure that you're following best practice so it doesn't get into the water environment. Okay, yeah, we've said that filling and washing in the field is the you know that's deemed best practice. Yeah. Um, but what's the key difference between doing it in the field and in the stead in the area, and and how the waste is defined? Yeah, well, well, if the activity is kept within the field, so you do your spraying activity, um, you've emptied the tank as much as you can, you've you've gone back over headlands, whatever it is to to use the the pesticide. So you're reducing the waste volume there straight away. You want to make sure you get the most use for your pesticide for a number of reasons. The the main reason is because it costs a lot of money. Um, so you want to make sure that you're applying it in the right place in the right uh, right right time, right location, and the right volumes. But then once it comes to the end of the spraying activity. 
I always think of, we've got this thing called in, in SEPA, which we refer to as the source pathway receptor when it comes to the to, to pollution. If you can keep your sources of pollution away from the receptors, which is the water courses, that's the best thing. And by keeping the activities in a field where you've been doing the spraying, you can do your washing, you can do your filling, you can do all the activities within that field because it's not going to get into the water environment. You make sure you're 10 meters away from the water environment, further if, if, if at all possible. And that's where you can do the majority of your activities, whether it's uh, you're washing down the kit, whether it's um, rinsing out the equipment and that kind of stuff. If you keep it in the field, any residues can then fall on the earth, fall on the soil. As soon as you bring that material back into, the, into a steading, if you're producing that material, if you're washing down, if you're producing runoff in a, in a steading, it's not associated with the activity in the field. So it's a new activity. So it has to be classed as a waste product. The, run, the rinsings, the runoff and that kind of stuff, anything you're collecting in a sump or a tank will become a waste product. And because of that, you have to deal with it def differently. You have to have duty of care. You might have to deal with special waste issues. Um, but it basically has to be disposed of at a li licensed location by a licensed business or, or individual. So it does produce a lot more hurdles. And also with the transport of any liquid, there's always the potential of things spilling, leaking yeah. or escaping in different places. Okay, that's kind of setting the scene. Um, now, the whole point of having dedicated pesticide handling areas is to reduce pesticides reaching the water environment. I've established that. Um, yeah. We're just going to consider just really what producers should think about when they're looking to even improve their, their, their existing facilities. Mm -hmm. um, it's fair to say that improving pesticide handling areas doesn't necessarily mean starting from scratch. Um, you can make improvements to your existing facilities. That's should be quite possible. Uh, perhaps more common if it's a low usage scenario, although sometimes you will have to start from scratch. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, one of the first considerations is location. Yeah. And Pete, you've uh, covered, you've briefly mentioned that that uh, in terms of the site, it must be ten meters away from watercourses, fifty meters away from wells and boreholes. Yeah. Um, there's also one or two other considerations there. Uh, there's the, it's got to be away from any runoff. Uh, also any, also away from uh, any areas that there's a potential to flood, Pete, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. We talk about away from the water environment, and that, in, that includes your drains on your on your farm. You know, that includes the, anything which has got a hole which goes to the water environment. You know, it is a, it is something which, we see a lot of the time water on a steading is seen as an is, is seen as a nuisance because it is. You often see a drain at the bottom of a of a yard, and everything will go to that drain. Yeah. And it's making sure that when you're putting in these these systems, you have a good look around your site and make sure that every drain is either covered, completely sealed, or away at least 10 meters away from from these handling areas uh, because they are the they're the, they're the they're the pathways for that pollutant that source of pollution to go through so that's the big thing that we look for most often it's often the thing which is forgotten about because some steadings are generations old and they've got hidden um drains all over the place so that's the kind of thing we look at quite regularly mm -hmm. 
another consideration as well, I think, would be that um, you'd have to sight it away from where there's other traffic because yeah. wheels and that could pick up and th- there might not be any risk at where you've, where you've sighted your pesticide handling area, but if you have a vehicle running through it, it could trail it to another part of the farm where there could, yeah. there could be a problem. I think yeah. that would be fair as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, roofing, that minimises rainwater collection, so that would be preferable, I would think, certainly some of the, certainly if you were using biofilters or, or something like that, and even even for the volume that's being collected. Um, I think it would be preferable. That be right, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, roofing things is 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 is, is quite an expensive thing. So, like you said just just then, if you've got a a, a, a Dutch barn or, or 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 some facility that you're not making the most of, um, you got the opportunity to make these pesticide handlings multi-use because they're not in use all the time. You know, they're only in use for, a, 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 you know, a, a fraction of the year. Um, so these areas can be multi-use, so it can be uh, getting the most um, bang for your buck kind of thing. So these areas can be covered and it can use a vehicle and equipment storage. Uh, and But when needed, it can be uh, made free and available for uh, handling and dealing with the, with the pesticide issues. Uh, and when they've gone to, you know, they've got their basically their handling area, it, it can be a good idea then to move the pesticide store there makes life an awful lot easier uh and also you know you, you need a good water supply but if somebody's taken from the mains you know there's there's things that people must consider isn't there yeah i mean however you, you you get your water supply whether it's mains whether it's private or whether it's from a burn we don't want to be seeing um uh, you you fill your spraying equipment being filled directly from that source it's got to be in some kind of intermediate container so put it into a bulk tank or whatever it may be or it has to have some kind of back siphoning system put in it as well so basically there's got to be a way to disrupt that raw water going to the sprayer one of the one of the things that uh, scottish water officers have pointed out in the in the recent past is that issue of uh, where it's mains water uh, filling sprayers where they've had incidents where well the chemical has basically washed back up the uh, the, the the pipe and gone into the, the the system so that can cause quite significant impact um, very difficult to source those kind of pollution incidents because obviously mains water will be supplying a lot of properties. So it's just a case of these things are like best practice and now it is a regulatory requirement that you've got this intermediate container or, or a method of present, preventing any back siphoning. And um, that is something we always check on when we're doing any visit which has got um, a pesticide handling area and that kind of stuff, just to make sure you've got those things in place. Once you've got your suitable location or site, um, containment, I suppose that's one thing you've got to think about. And typically, this will involve some sort of concrete pad. Um, in terms of size, and Dan, I'll maybe bring you in here, you're really looking for an area that can contain a whole sprayer. And that's sprayer, tractor, and even a front tank. Yeah, that's absolutely right, George. Um, that's the sort of size you're looking for. Um, we always say that you want the size of whatever vehicle you're putting on there, plus at least a metre around it. So you've got a good working area around the machine, and that's going to cover you for all any um, of the contaminations likely to, to come from handling pesticides around the machine. Yeah. Um, all I would say about sizing it is 
when you do size your concrete area for the for, for the handling of pesticides be realistic so build something that is future proof absolutely make sure it's yeah. big enough for the future for any future equipment that you might be looking at taking on all too often we see um pads that are put down for an existing machine and then they upgrade to a larger sprayer and they're no longer being able to use it so that's a complete waste of, of effort so just be realistic about that and also don't oversize it as well if you oversize it and you're working in an outdoor environment particularly you're going to increase the catchment of rainwater and as pete has already touched on rainwater into these systems too much rainwater is a problem and it's also you've got to stress as well that the, the concrete has to be top quality it's got to be sealed um impermeable basically um and certainly if somebody was looking at converting existing facilities um any cracks and such like they've got to be properly sealed yeah that's absolutely true and you take care about the bunding area around it um some people have have used uh, like a separate bund method i.e a curb or a block wall and that doesn't always seal against your concrete pad that you might pour within that so just be very aware of that some people have taken uh, measures to actually go back and seal that retrospectively if you like um, but if you can cast it in one pour then absolutely you create that perm that you know that impermeable surface like you're talking about george just uh, briefly with abundant i've seen a, a couple of different examples and, and i'm sure dan You've seen different examples. Quite often, uh, you can have uh, abundant concrete pad and it can use carbon uh, round about it. I've seen examples where uh, there's no carbon round about, there's no risk of, uh, or very well, there'd be no risk of any runoff entering into the collection area. And it's essentially just a steeply graded trench. Um, both ways are, are just as effective, I presume, as long as they can contain what's in that sprayer. Absolutely, yeah. That's what you're looking for is something that is capable of containing the you know a potential spill from the sprayer. Yeah. Um, included in that can be an underground tank, um, included in that capacity of the bund. So if you're running, a, say, a 3,000-litre sprayer, you might want to have a bund capacity of 3,500 litres, for instance, in which case you could use the 1500 litres of the actual underground tank and then calculate the remainder in the bund area. When you're making your concrete area, it, it's got to be graded. Um, so it goes, it runs to the, to basically, it's got to be graded so that the liquid can be collected. Um, tips, certainly if you're washing equipment there, some sort of grating to catch any larger debris, uh, straw, stones, even clods. Absolutely, yeah. I would definitely say you want to, um, if you can make the journey for the pesticides to the uh, drain, in which case, in our case, we would normally recommend a silt trap immediately that comes off of the um, concrete area. If you can make that journey as long as possible, you're aiding the breakdown of those pesticides. So you, ideally, you want to be washing that um, solution to one end or maybe to the middle. Um, some considerations in, in the making of the concrete pad is if you are using a self-propelled sprayer, a lot of those like to be filled on the, on the level. So you might need to have a gradient coming to the center as opposed to all running to one end. 
it's just a little point to to take into consideration yeah. but you're dead right collecting that those solids in a silt trap is 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 really important the collection tank itself where this runs to uh i think there's a limit uh pete uh 1500 liters is a maximum for, for a pesticide solution you can store on site isn't it that's correct. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing with the uh, with the pesticide uh, rules and regulations that SEPA have. They they're on they're in different parts of the of the regulations. It's never it's never easy when it comes to rules and regulations. But um, we are, we SEPA basically covers the re- the rules and regulations relating to protection of the the environment. So there are a number of areas where we cross over with health and safety executive and, and other agencies as well. But uh, yeah, you're right. When it comes to to storing. Um, uh, any any runoff from pesticide uh, handling and that kind of stuff limit it to that fifteen hundred uh, and uh, and you should be okay as long as it's bonded as long as it's in a suitable location and and as long as that um, that tank is uh, is is not going to be leaking anywhere that's that's yeah. that's the correct yeah. the, ta- the tank's got to be impermeable absolutely yeah it's it's got to be built for that purpose you know it might not be a purpose built pesticide runoff handling tank but it's got to be something which is suitable for use. Unfortunately, I'm all for recycling and reuse. That's great, <laughs> but it's got to be fit for purpose. You know, it can't be something which has been hanging around on the steading for a few years and got holes in it, and you've just sunk it into the ground. And you're going to say that'll do as 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 the effluent tank. It won't. It's got to have the structural integrity and the ability to keep that residue in there until a certain point that you can remove it, because it could be in there for a number of. It could be in there for for, for a while as well. So it's making sure that is. Is a is is a suitable container for it to be stored in. Once we've got the collection, the pesticide collected, um, we've kind of got three options. Um, there's collection by a licensed contractor. Yeah. Um, there's discharge to designated area land through a CAR license. Yep. Uh, and finally, uh, there's bioremediation and discharge through a biofilter or a biobed. Yeah, yeah. So there are three ways, uh, like George just said, about how you can deal with the pesticide residue. It's getting a contractor to come and collect that from site, which is a very expensive option. Sometimes it can be worth it, um, but it is a very expensive option. And the availability of those contractors to come and collect is quite limited in some of the locations that we are up in Scotland. You know, big distances will result in large costs. There is disposal to land through a controlled activities regulation license. It's a groundwater disposal license, what what used to be referred of. And basically that means, it's similar to like your sheep dip license, which quite a lot of uh, people will be aware of. But these, these licenses, basically you have a dedicated location on a field which you own or operate and there you can take the residue to uh, you can dispose of it one time per site per year you can have multiple sites but you've got to keep a record of where you are that site has to be appropriate and with a license there come lots of conditions uh, so it, it all very much relate, relates to the location the time of disposal the, the the weather conditions of disposal so licenses are great again this is the kind of thing that you're probably looking at when you're a contractor or, or somebody who's using high volumes and there's a lot of opportunities for these for this disposal activity to take place uh, and then there's the third option which 
is this bioremediation, biofilter kind of option, uh, which is becoming more and more popular because it's an exemption you apply for. So it's kind of like a license. It's it's still a permit from SEPA, but it doesn't cost anything. You have to fill in a form to apply for it. And then once a year, you have to renew it. But basically, that allows for the discharge of this treated effluents once it's gone through the bioremediation biofilter system and it allows you to irrigate a part of an area of land or reuse that effluent for another purpose like spraying down your washers and that kind of stuff and it's becoming you know five years ago six years ago it wasn't really talked about very much because it was seen as something just for the big sites uh, but now as we've seen uh, on a number of sites it really is beneficial for these small scale farmers because uh, they are relatively cheap to put in depending on which option you go for the regulatory burden for the farm is pretty minimal and if it's handled properly if it's managed appropriately these things just work in the background and in SEPA's world looking as a regulator those things that are pollution prevention things that just happen without having to think about it very much are the great option because it works with the business rather than being a, a regulatory burden. Touching on these biofilters and biobeds, as you said, we're seeing more of them now being installed. Uh, there's been uh, they've been funding for them through AICS, and there's also been local catchment initiatives. Uh, but Dan, I'd like to ask you now. Can you explain to listeners just what exactly is a biofilter and a biobed? Yeah, good point, um, George, and they're, they're often confused, so good to clarify that. So a biobed is effectively a, a lined pit dug into the ground filled with a biomix. When we refer to the biomix, that is the straw, compost, and topsoil mix, which the pesticides are then pumped onto, and then they percolate through the mix and it's then pumped out of the bio bed and out on the ground for dispersion, having gone through um, the organic uh, biodegradation process that would naturally happen to the chemicals in, in the environment. You're kind of forcing it to happen in an enclosed space, um, thereby controlling that that um, degradation so that the, the water that comes out of the, out of the bio bed is effectively pesticide and herbicide free yeah um the biofilter works on exactly the same principle but it stands three boxes high um and when we say boxes we mean like a square pallet containers um traditionally or originally when the, fir the, the first biofilters that were made you reused ibcs they became structurally a nightmare to try and keep together so what we've got basically replicates that but is much more structurally sound and that is a three-stage filtration process so again it's pumped up to the top one and then by gravity just feeds through the three um, boxes and you create the same process as you would have in a bio bed but in a much more enclosed space the biofilters tend to be used for smaller spray areas smaller washdown areas or indoor areas the bio beds are used for the larger washdown areas outside We've mentioned that there's biomix within the biofilters and biobeds. And uh, what actually makes up the biomix, Dan? So biomix is very simply straw, compost, and topsoil. 50% straw, 25% compost, and 25% topsoil. That's by volume. Now, the important thing to know here is, is what all of those elements are for. So the straw is there for the pesticides to lock onto. 
And a lot of the questions we get asked are, can I use rape straw or pea straw? Does it have to be barley straw? Can it be chopped straw? Now, all we need is, is good quality straw um, that's going to have some some strength to it. So probably I'd go, go away from things like rape and pea straw that are going to break down quite quickly. Stick to the barley or wheat straw, and the longer the fibers, the better. So that, that should be easy enough to source. Topsoil can be taken anywhere from on the farm. I would recommend there that it is um, free-draining topsoil. And the purpose of the topsoil in the mix is to bring the bacteria that would naturally be in the soil into the mix to break down the pesticides. The compost, that just has to be a standard compost. I've seen farmers use um, potting compost through to compost from a green waste site. But it, the purpose of the compost is just to keep, help keep the moisture in the mix so that the pesticides, so that the uh, bacteria can survive to break down the pesticides in 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 the, in the mix as it goes through. What about peat in the compost? Should it be peat-free compost or? Absolutely, yeah. No peat in the compost. Okay, yeah. I mean, so the 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 biomix has got a has got a, a working life, um, and, and once that has 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 expired, um, it needs to. This is another part of the registration that's required for the exemption that you need to uh, speak to SEPA about. Basically, it's got to be stored in a secure area. Uh, you can't store more than 10 tonnes of this material at any one time, which yeah, which you wouldn't be really because that is quite a significant volume. So you've got to store it for a minimum of 12 months prior to applying it to land. Uh, that's to allow for that activity to take place to break down the, 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 the pesticide chemicals that are within that biomix. So a minimum storage time for 12 months. It's got to be stored in a secure location. That's, that's, that's your farmyard, basically. Uh, um, no more than 10 tonnes. And it's got to be spread within three years. So it's got to have 12 months of, of sitting there doing its, doing its work, breaking down the chemicals, and then it's got to be re- applied within three years um, of, of it being coming to its end of its use. It's got to have an, a, a benefit to the environment like all these applications to land. It can't be seen as just disposing of it just to get rid of it. It's got to have a benefit to land. But with the straw content and the, and, and the, and the topsoil, you've got that organic matter, which is, it, which is a great addition to any 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 farm at the right location at the right point in time and that kind of stuff so it is again it's another great thing about this 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 uh, the use of the the biomix is that it's doing one job already by protecting the environment by dealing with the pesticide washings but then again you've got a resource after it's been used which can be spread back into the field uh, for agricultural benefit as well yep. just one point to make on that as well is the question we often get asked is what should happen to the silt um, that is collecting in the silt trap or indeed on the area where the where the uh, sprayer is being parked to fill up and wash down and the answer to that is that that silt can actually just be added to the biomix in the biobed or in the biofilter it can yeah. be added to that and thereby you know um, negates any costly disposal process for a contaminated product potentially yeah definitely it's those um small particulates the silts and the sands and that kind of stuff which you know uh, the pesticides will will attach itself to and they are easily washed down into surface water drains and that kind of stuff so yeah definitely collect it contain it pop, pop it into the biofil uh, biomix and uh, and treat it as as one definitely good point that dan good point typical volumes um you, you've kind of hinted that biofilters are maybe for smaller operators 
uh, bio beds for the larger farms. Um, just what sort of volumes would they be looking to put through each year? Um, I might ask Pete for his um, accurate version on that. In England and Wales, the biofilters are approved by the Environment Agency for up to 15,000 litres of water per annum, including rainwater. And then in the bio beds are approved for up to 15,000 litres of washings, excluding rainwater. There's a slight there's a slight difference in Scotland um, where the disposal of waste consisting of pesticide solutions or washings in a lime bed bio bed you can you can use it for eight thousand liters uh, of waste per year within a, within that twelve month period. So yeah, it's eight thousand in Scotland where it's a little bit more in 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 England. Um, not quite sure what the discrepancy is reasons for, um, and this is one of the the exemptions that is getting looked at a little bit because of the the, the differences throughout uh, the UK. Um, but, um, yeah, 8,000 litres per year can go through it. And, Dan, um, you've been involved in a number of these sites in the past. Um, when people are installing them, what other items of equipment should be considered? We've, we've mentioned silk traps. Um, is there any alarms or anything like that? It should be perhaps a lot about. Yeah, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good one. So... It depends on how you know, the individual layout of your site, but obviously after the silt trap is a what we call a primary collection tank, and that is a facility just to collect the um, solution so that it can then be pumped on to your bio bed or your biofilter. You've then got obviously the equipment of the bio bed and the biofilter, and then at the end stage, um, we always recommend a pumped discharge. Now, many people say to us, well, you know, the way the site is laid out, um, surely we can gravity feed that away. But the thing to remember with it is, is that that water has been through an organic process. So effectively, it is an organic leachate. So what generally, um, I think Pete will back me up on this, they like, the environment bodies like to see that evenly dispersed over a given area rather than just distributed to one point maybe by gravity through a hose pipe so that's an important point to make that we always recommend a pumped discharge through drip line irrigation um, to get an even dispersal um, that's probably you know the the fundamentals of the of the kits as such yeah i'll just back back up down there with the with the discharge at the end yes that that is the main part of the 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 seeper um exemption it's we we do like to know what the design of the the the, the bio filter bio bed treatment system is we like to know the location we like to know roughly how much is going to get used but the main issue the pollution prevention part the reason why that exemption exists is that final discharge of the of the effluent and, and it has to go via irrigation it's not just a disposal activity you're not just you know having a hose we have seen this on some of the places which haven't had that uh, chat with SEPA beforehand. We've just seen basically a hose coming out the end of the of, a, of the final discharge uh, location, whether it's a, a tank or whatever it is, just discharging into a field. We don't want to be seeing that because there's the potential there for, for pollution to occur. So it is about irrigating a location or reusing that, that liquid in a, in a suitable way. As long as there is a irrigation purpose at the end rather than it just being a disposal at the end of a pipe that's the kind of thing we're looking at and dan's example of the uh, the trickle um pump trip trickle version is, is a great way of doing it i think finally um many of the items that we've discussed today that require capital uh time 
and also about a bit of thought into planning them correctly. Uh, what quick and easy steps can producers make to their current facilities in the interim? The kind of things we've seen is um, where it's where it's an immediate improvement is required. We can see things like curbs being installed. Um, just to direct the, any flows away from uh, open surface drains, we can see things like um, uh, lids being secured onto onto drains to make sure there's no entrance into the surface water. They're the kind of things that, as a regulator, I'd be looking at. I'd be looking at the quick, simple fixes just to stop any yeah. runoff getting into a, into a drain. And those things can be those things can be done on the day. And, and indeed, I have seen them do, done on the day where these things are just right. Okay, I'll go and get. X, Y, and Z, and I'll block up that drain, and uh, and those kind of things can have an immediate impact. It hardly costs a thing. So, so it's so well worth um, producers just having a look at their current facilities and just looking to where things run to yeah. or things could potentially go to. Basically, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So the other point to mention on that, George, we often notice is is um, traffic on and off. Um, the beds and other uses for for the for the wash areas. Um, so, as a pesticide handling area, it does need to be a dedicated space. You can't expect to be able to use it as a wash down area for other machinery necessarily, um, and expect the same drainage system to to be able to cope with that. It physically can't. The whole um, bio bed and the bio um, box biofilter system is an aerobic process that it goes through, and if you overload that with water. It becomes anaerobic, so thereby um, ceases to work. So you're not going to get that pesticide breakdown. So that's really important to keep, you know, the water away from that area. Yeah, to to, to minimise the liquid that's going through the the system, basically. Exactly right. Yeah. To conclude, um, pesticide handling areas play a key role in reducing the potential for pesticide pollution and damage to biodiversity, and also help protect the water environment. Uh, today, we've discussed the containment of pesticide solutions, washings, and their safe storage. We've also covered disposal options from collection to license discharge to even bioremediation through biofilters and biobeds. There's a number of websites uh, people can visit for further information. There's a pesticide section on the Farm Advisory Service site. There's the Farm and Water Scotland website, SEPA's website, and also the Voluntary Initiative website. Further reading can be found in the PIPFA code. Uh, finally, I'd like to thank my guests today, Pete Wright from SEPA, and also Dan Fentiman for their knowledgeable and informative contributions. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>